Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Talking Point after an absolutely crazy Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Uh, probably the race of the season for me and uh, my name's Henry Valentine and with me is Finley Crivolda from Planet F1. Finley, what did you make of that? Oh, yeah, I'm still recovering, still recovering. That was, uh, yeah, just exactly what we wanted from Baku. It was uh, after a, a bit of a slow start to the race. I mean, it's still good, just not the chaos of Baku. We... Uh, yeah, we got we got it all in the end. Yeah, what a race. Oh, absolutely superb. So if you missed the race, uh, first of all, go and watch it. Like, come back to us later. Yeah. It was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, Sergio Perez took the win, uh, which, you know, none of us would be unhappy about. But it was a race of completely contrasting fortunes um, for Red Bull and Mercedes. Uh, Perez took the win. Um, massive accident for Max Verstappen a few laps before the end. Uh, Lewis Hamilton locked up at the race restart after the subsequent red flag. Uh, Checo went on to win and we had had an unlikely podium, which, you know, is is all we really asked for from F1. Just that a little bit of um, just a little bit of craziness from time to time. And it was it was just brilliant. It was a really uh, feel good podium. I thought, you know, we'll get on to Vettel and Gasly a bit later on, but it was three drivers that you, you you felt really happy to see up there celebrating, which, uh, yeah, I don't think we get too often in F1. I'm not saying I'm unhappy when Hamilton and Verstappen mm. are on the podium, <laughs> but it is, a, it is a nice story, I think, when you get three drivers. They have had a lot of, you know, they've all been sacked by various teams in the last two years, <laughs> Perez, Vettel and uh, Gasly. So, yeah, it was a happy ending to, a, a, yeah, just a, a crazy, crazy day. Absolutely right. Let's start at the front anyway. So, I mean, it, it's almost um, gone under the radar that Charles Leclerc started on pole after, after yeah, all that. I know. And I completely then... forgot, honestly. I, I'm rewatching <laughs> the highlights again. I was like, oh, yeah, the Ferrari started at the front. Yeah. No, it was a- absolutely crazy. And then, um, 
yeah, because he got a massive tar for Lewis Hamilton in qualifying, which which will undoubtedly have, have gained him a few tenths. But for him to to start on pole still for the second race running was um, was great news for him. But uh, but Hamilton and Verstappen were able to uh, to get the jump on him quite early, and Perez soon followed. Um, and but like, Perez starting from P six as well. Like he he really made those moves early, didn't he? Yeah, I think you know talking about Perez, um, I think the key to him winning the race, apart from Verstappen and Hamilton both uh having issues um was his start you know i mean he mm. he got past signs gasly leclerc all by i think like you know under 10 laps in and that's kind of where his weakness has been this year he's ended up stuck behind a, a midfield car and lost touch with the front so i think that was the key really um that allowed him to have you know, have a bit of clean air to stay with within touch of the front two. And um, yeah, at that point, you were wondering Verstappen v Hamilton, um, are Red Bull going to use Perez as a, as a rear gunner, you know, just to kind of stop Hamilton. But um, he had too much pace for, for even that strategy in the end, you know. Absolutely. And it was really good to to see Perez show that sort of ruthless side to his racing again. I mean, he's, he's got a great record at Baku anyway, two podium finishes previously there at the four races. And um, yeah, he really, really sort of showed his metal. And like, is this the moment that he's arrived as a Red Bull driver? Do you think? I think it is. Yeah. I think um, he said at the start of the weekend that he finally felt like he kind of understood the car and knew what he was doing. But you, you obviously take that with a pinch of salt. I think we've heard a lot of drivers say that about new cars and then their performances haven't really changed that much. But with Perez, it really, the race really did look like he had a full understanding of it, you know? Um, I mean, he went toe-to-toe with arguably the greatest driver of all time for the entire race. You know, Hamilton was right behind him for the whole race and he held him off and he didn't put a foot wrong. And I think you've got to have a pretty good grip of your car to do that at a street circuit. Um to not only stay out of the walls, but to have enough pace to stay ahead of Hamilton as well. Yeah, I think this was um I think this is a really big turning point for him actually. You know, it felt a bit like signs last time out of Monaco, you know, that P2 felt like a big deal. Just waiting for Ricardo to find that now, I guess. But yeah, yeah no, it was uh, yeah, it was uh, it really did feel like the weekend that Perez, you know, showed just what he can do. He came top in two practice sessions as well, so he—it's not like it was a one-off. He was—he was there from the very start, and um, and once Verstappen's tire failure happened, uh, which which we'll come on to shortly, it was um, didn't really look like too much of a bother for him. He he was able to to manage it from there. Yeah, I think what the Im- impressive thing was was just how he dealt with the this huge pressure. I mean, once Verstappen was out, it was on him. You know, it not only was his teammates title chances a lot resting on him but also his team's title chances in the constructors championship you know obviously Verstappen was gone it was um one-on-one Perez Hamilton and uh yeah he kept his quarterly obviously he made a bit of a slower start than Hamilton at the restart but that worked out just fine for him in the end um yeah and uh yeah no I mean if, if you look at his whole race he he didn't put a foot wrong he didn't make one mistake um he was unlucky not to be leading after the first stint because he had that slow stop, obviously. Um, if he didn't have that slow stop, he would have come out ahead of Verstappen. Um, yeah. <laughs> it makes you wonder if he would have been allowed to stay ahead of Verstappen, but that's that's a point for another day, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Christian Horner said yes, but I'm, I'm not so sure, to be honest. Yeah, nor am I. But to be fair, I think Verstappen did a stronger pace, so I think 
it may have been a logical team order at that point. But um, yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, Perez's best race. Well, I guess since he last won a race. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. And even then he he was sort of mopping up everything else that happened around him. So, you know, he, and that's what he did throughout his time as sort of force India racing point as well. He was he was always there when when things were going wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of his um, specialty, I think, is, you know, the reason he's got so many podiums is he, in those high-pressure situations um, where the chance comes up, he doesn't he doesn't falter, you know. We've seen it a lot of times with Nico Hülkenberg, for example, back in the day where he had massive chances for a podium. And it, it, it felt like as soon as he got a glimpse of that podium, it just completely kind of rattled him. Whereas mm. with Perez... That doesn't seem the case at all. Um, and in, when even when he gets this glimpse of a win, he seems to handle it just fine, which is, yeah, that's pretty important, I think, for a driver in uh, the best car on the grid. Yeah, absolutely. But um, looking at the other side of the Constructors' Championship now, uh, it was an absolutely horrible weekend for Mercedes. They were um, like they were well out of contention in, in practice sessions. That uh, Both drivers finished outside the top 10 in FP2. Um, they were, were trying everything to um, to get back to the front of the field. I mean, Lewis Hamilton pulled out like a superb qualifying lap to be able to, to put himself on... Um, on the front row and for him to uh, to do that with a car that looked, looked like it was absolutely nowhere and, and Valtteri Bottas being well proving that by being stuck in midfield for the whole race mm-hmm. arguably towards the back um just just showed you know how much he was able to get out of a car that really wasn't behaving itself yeah I think this was Hamilton's one of Hamilton's best drives of the season you know he yeah like you said the car really wasn't particularly good and yet he managed to well get ahead of both red bulls in qualifying uh, mm. i know he was helped by a red flag but even so it was still a you know pretty perfect lap and then stay on the back of one red bull throughout the race and i mean he wasn't miles away from verstappen either it was i think for well, most he, of the he time, led before was... the pit stops as well his, yeah. his own slow stop yeah yeah exactly yeah i think he um yeah he didn't quite have the pace of verstappen you know obviously I, yeah, I think even without the issue for the pit stop, Verstappen still would have come out ahead. But it would have—I'm not sure—it would have been tight. But um, yeah, I don't think he quite the pace of Verstappen. But I mean, his pace was completely even to Perez's. They were, you know, right by each other for the whole race. Hamilton was even pressuring Perez for the whole race, and I think Verstappen was generally four seconds ahead, give or take. So yeah, I think it's. Um, it was some real just miracle work from Hamilton, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'd be curious to know who was performing closer to kind of the accurate uh, performance of the car in the pecking order, uh, Hamilton or Bottas. <laughs> you know, mm. was was Hamilton just kind of getting every single bit of potential out of it and Bottas was just having a fairly standard race or was Bottas just having an absolute horror show? But yeah, it was another reminder that you know, just how good Hamilton is. But at the end of the day, it was all for nothing because of one uh, accidental flick of a switch. Yeah. So again, if if you didn't see it, uh, the, after, after Verstappen brought out the red flag with um, with his accident, which, you know, uh, there's a wider discussion around Pirelli, which we'll probably have uh, later on in the episode. But um, it, that left two laps uh, to get to get to the finish line. And, and Hamilton was, was saying on the grid, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're trying to... 
and you know obviously subconsciously saying that he was trying to look at the championship game rather than uh, uh, rather than that single race so that that sort of intimated that he wasn't going to to attack at the first corner but he got a better start than Perez he was alongside him um and then yeah he accidentally uh, flicked a switch that uh, completely changed his brake bias and then he he was just a passenger he went straight on yeah it re- the, the switch thing made a lot of sense it explained a lot for me because I I could not get my head around it at first because for one, P2 isn't that bad when Verstappen's retired, but he he had a much better start than Perez. He could, and he had the inside line, so he could have afforded to break pretty early and still get ahead of Perez into the first corner. So I was like, why the hell would he break that late and lock up? Mm. Um, so then when he explained it was the switch, the magic break switch, um, yeah, that made a lot of sense. But I mean, God, talk about costly errors. That's uh, I know. That would have given him a big lead in the title fight and one that you're not sure Verstappen would be able to close, I don't think, in his first ever title fight. Um, I think, well, I'm sure he could have, but it would be difficult. It would have been a big advantage for Hamilton, especially with two street circuits done and another one cancelled later on in the season. You know, it would have been, um, yeah, advantage Hamilton for sure. So that is a, a big, big error on his part. Well, the thing yeah. is that that doesn't happen very often at all, does it? But it was a really, really bad time for it to happen. Mm. It, it ended a 54 race streak of him scoring points, which God, yeah. which in itself is completely nuts. Yeah, that like, is that's, crazy. That's, yeah, that's about three and a half seasons worth, or, or three yeah. seasons worth of racing. Yeah, talk about a, picking your timing. That's you know, they literally could not have been a worse time to uh, to make what seems like a pretty pretty strange mistake. Mm. Uh, that's it so it was, it was effectively a nil-nil draw coming out of it and um if you go to planetf1.com um, our conclusions piece is online and um yeah that's uh that's how it was f- described effectively that it's um it's a nil-nil draw so they just move on to the next one and you know ultimately for both drivers it's not really the end of the world but but both of them had chances to to capitalize on it so that will probably play on both of their minds going into france yeah, yeah, I think both of them. Well, I don't think Verstappen will have any regrets because obviously there's there's nothing he could have done. He well, um, no. he drove the perfect race, yeah, literally. Um, didn't put a foot wrong, didn't make any mistakes, and just it, it wasn't about managing his tires because you know the tire wear looked fine. It was literally just out of nowhere a tire failure. So I think Verstappen will be um gutted that he lost out on the win but of the two I do wonder I think Hamilton might be struggling a bit more with it just because it was kind of his own uh fault for him and the chance was there yeah the chance was there and a a mistake lost it for him rather than uh a a tire failure or mechanical issue or something but I mean it's great for the it's great for the season as a whole though I think that they stay so close to each other um I think what would have been best for the season would be if Verstappen opened up that lead a bit more because we are going to some Mercedes uh, favoured tracks um, going forward. But, you know, I think um, no, no draw on the whole. I mean, you know what? Sergio Perez isn't that far off now. I think he's no. 30 points behind Hamilton. So yeah, 32 behind Hamilton. 32. Yeah. I mean, one win for him, one retirement for Hamilton. And there you go. You've got a... I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's a Red that, Bull headache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's thinking very far ahead, but I don't know. You never know. After this weekend, mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, it's it's all a lot more interesting. I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. But looking at the rest of the podium now, a second consecutive uh, Driver of the Day award uh, for Sebastian Vessel. You can absolutely understand why his, uh, his first podium for Aston Martin, a brilliant P2 finish, starting from P11 as well, making up nine places during the race. And uh, yeah, that that is just a huge moment for him, isn't it? Yeah, after Monaco, well, he was also great. Everybody, the, the, the narrative around Vettel was, oh, is the old Vettel back? And it was generally felt like it's a bit soon to say that it's one race. Well, one race where he was very good, but he, you know, he, he every driver can have good races. I think what what mattered was that he did it again, and he did. I think he was even better in Baku, to be honest. You know, starting in, you know, with with Monaco, it was he was helped out by a good qualifying session. Whereas here, he had to do the work from further back. And I mean, God, he was, you know, that first stint, he lasted, you know, pushing 20 laps. I think it was 18 odd laps on on soft tires, which nobody else was able to go that long on. And his pace was really strong as well. I mean, he wasn't even massively kind of holding up uh, Verstappen when, when Verstappen had pit and the Vettel was still out. So, yeah, I think that first stint did the did the hard work for him. And then... Well, the last stint as well after the after the first restart after his teammates crash that that kind of got him into the mix of the podium because he just nailed it on uh, again fresher tires and I mean yeah it was just it was it was such a strong race for him and now I think it's a lot safer to say that the old Vettel is is returning which is a very exciting thought for the sport I think because I mean. Yeah, it was easy to forget last year and in 2019 even, but on his day, he is still so good. I see you're done with four uh, four world championships without having something behind you, but it, equally it was, uh, yeah, it was really good to see him do that because Aston Martin, that car didn't, like, they were just sort of wedged in midfield like on the edge of the points as, as well throughout the weekend. And um, like, for him to be able to pull off that race, I mean, don't get me wrong, Lance Stroll's uh, accident was, he was an absolute passenger. There was nothing he could do about it, but um that Vettel looked like he, he sort of had the the march on him for most of the weekend really yeah he did and that's two weekends in a row now and it's just it's just amazing how quickly things can change in F1 isn't it I, I think before Monica we had a lot of people you know I remember Ralph Schumacher saying that that I think he said Vettel had three races to to sort out this this intra-team battle with Stroll and if he was still losing then that was it you know career over <laughs> Um, and I mean, well, he's done it in two, you know, Monaco yeah. and Baku, he's not only been better than his teammate, but I think he's probably been the best midfield driver as well. You know, obviously Gasly had a great race. Um, Norris was pretty good and Monaco, not bad in Baku, but I mean, yeah, Vettel, that's two results now that have completely changed the narrative surrounding them. I think, I mean, now he's well ahead of his teammate in the standings. And you're kind of looking at him as, as the lead man at Aston Martin now, which would have been pretty unthinkable before Monaco, I think. Absolutely. Well, he, in those two races, he's jumped above Daniel Ricciardo in his McLaren in, in the World Championship standings as well. So it's amazing how yeah. um, how quickly his fortunes can turn around. But uh, <laughs> mentioning Gasly there as well, a third, a third Formula One podium for him. Um, brilliant race as well. And uh, Charles Leclerc was uh, was challenging him right to the line, but he, he got his elbows out, didn't he? He, he, yeah. he made sure he kept that place. Yeah, that was great, that fight. That was, again, it was uh, Leclerc got him at the at the start. Or the restart, rather. Um, mm. He he got ahead of him, and then on the same straight, Gasly got back ahead of Leclerc, dived down the inside, and then they go into the second DRS zone, 
And again, Leclerc gets his nose ahead, but Gasly again sticks it on the inside, pushes his way through back to P3. I mean, that was, yeah, just some of the best racing of the day, I think. And I think at the end, it ended with the with the the right outcome. I think Gasly really deserved that podium because I think he was maybe the only driver on the grid that that had um, an objectively good Saturday and Sunday. You know, I, if you think your way through the grid, I mean, obviously Leclerc had an incredible Saturday, but his Sunday wasn't great. Um, Vettel Perez the other way around, even Verstappen would have been happy. I think Gasly was, because, you know, in qualifying, he was P4, something ridiculous, like three thousandths of a second of Verstappen. And then, yeah, he was just as good in the race. I mean, he he might feel a bit disappointed to, to end up behind Vettel. But all things considered, P3 in that car, holding off a Ferrari, it's, um yeah, another really good race for him. And I find myself saying that a lot this season. I mean, I don't know. Do you think he's going a bit, bit under the radar this year? I feel like he's not being spoken about um, that much, but he's very consistent, isn't he? Yeah, I think he, he's starting to get applauded from people. You know, he's... Uh, but the, the stupid thing is, like, it's perfectly plausible that he might not have a seat come next mm. season. Uh, even after all this, which, um, you know, like, at the moment, he's making himself impossible to ignore. So whether AlphaTauri give him another year, if if Perez drops off at Red Bull, if he gets gets given a second chance there, or if, um, if Alpine... Um, decides to take him on, even though it's been confirmed that they have open talks with Esteban Ocon for a deal for next season. But other than that, it looks like there are sort of multi-year deals in place sort of throughout the grid. So, yeah. Yeah. so he might yeah. he might even struggle to uh, to get a seat next season, which at the moment seems absolutely unthinkable. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, I think he'll stay at AlphaTauri. Um, I don't think he'll want to, but I don't think there'll be yeah. anywhere else for him. I mean, it is just crazy. I mean, I th- I'd say he's pr- arguably the most desirable driver on the grid in, in terms of drivers that are realistically available, you know? I mean, I suppose Mercedes. Russell is as well, but I mean, yeah, why why wouldn't Mercedes take a look at him, you know? I mean, he's he's just been so good. And of the he's, of, he's one of the few young drivers that, that has proved himself to be able to lead a team as well. Yeah, it looks like the Alpine move isn't going to happen, which a lot of us expected to happen because they're opening talks with Ocon and obviously Alonso's staying next year. I don't know, you look at performances like this from Gasly there and you just you just wish that he could end up in in that Mercedes or Red Bull next year, don't you? You, you do, but yeah. Is, is it too early for silly season talk? Who knows? But it's, um, yeah, yeah that, that's going to be something to keep an eye on over the next few weeks. And um, yeah, right, just looking down the rest of the field in Baku, I mean, my mind goes to Fernando Alonso. Yeah, he's one of those drivers that, that just loves it there as much as us, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he, it was his first Q3 appearance uh, in uh, in Baku over the weekend, which in itself was a surprise. It, it almost went a little bit unnoticed yesterday, but in that that two-lap sprint after um, after the red flag late on, like he, he managed to jump up four places yeah. to P6 when, when his Alpine didn't really look capable of that this weekend, no. really. No, that's crazy. I remember before the red flag, I was thinking, oh, how the hell has Alonso dropped out of the points? You know, he had a decent quality. He started in P9 and he's good here. Really expecting him to be top 10. But um, yeah, sorry, I, mean, I think for a lot of race, he ended up in P11, which was, yeah, a real disappointment for him. But then you see at the red flag, he's got fresh softs to put on and you think, oh, you know, he's he's always been quick off the line. 
so i wondered if maybe he could get one car maybe mm. push into yeah i think i can't remember if he was p11 or not over verstappen it bumped uh, him up but um he turned at the, at the restart i think yeah yeah so i thought you know maybe he'll end up p9 get a couple of points or something but i mean you know obviously one of those positions was hamilton going for a jolly but you know he passed three <laughs> cars in the space of two laps and i'd say probably I can't remember who those who those drivers were, but I, I I'd wager that they were in equal, if not better, cars. If you, uh, I believe um, it was uh, Ricardo Sonoda. Um, I'm trying to think of the third one now. <laughs> Wait, Sainz, it was, it was... I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it would have been. Yeah, yeah. Sainz finished P8. Um, yeah, and I mean that's three drivers in better cars, isn't it? So yeah, that was. I do. I hope we get an onboard of those of that restart for Alonso. Uh, I've seen his getaway off the line, but I'd like to see the full-on onboard of the final two laps because that is just vintage Alonso, isn't it? I think some of his best moments come from those kind of charges off the line, off a standing start. So, uh, yeah, again, it's it's not quite. You know, it, it feels Alonso in Baku feels a bit like Vettel in Monaco, doesn't it? You know, we get that glimpse of of the old Alonso all starting to think, Oh, is he back? But again, I think we need to see it again in France and then we can start to get excited again, I think. But yeah, it's, it's a good sign for sure. And it's a, it's a relief to see that he, he's still got it. Drivers and new cars this year. And if you forget the rookies, they're all, they're all going pretty well. I think, uh, obviously Perez got a win. Vettel's got two great races. Signs with nice. P2 in Monaco and Alonso was great in Baku. You know, Ricardo of the group that are in new cars this year is the one that's. This is another track that that traditionally Daniel Ricardo is like a master of, and he was yeah. better than he was at Monaco, to be fair. But again, Norris had the better of him, which um, yeah, you wouldn't expect. And yeah, it's it's really good for Norris, and it's really not good for for Ricardo. Although he'll feel better than he did after Monaco, at least. That's it. He, he said he went back to the factory, made uh, quite significant changes to, to himself and the car, and he said he felt better a weekend. But uh, I mean, on on the track, it's 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 not quite showing up for him yet. But I th- like it's six six what five six races now. I think we we still give him time, don't we? There's there's no yeah you know th- th- there's not that that sort of sinking feeling yet. He's, there's no reason to really worry just yet. No, no definitely not. I just think. I don't, you know, I don't think there's any question that he's lost his touch or anything. I think he's as good as ever. He's just struggling with the car, but you do start to wonder, is that car just really not suited for him at all? Yeah, he he obviously likes cars with a lot of downforce that he can break really late on. And this McLaren is a bit different to that. It is more towards the Mercedes mold, you know, where it relies more on straight line speed. So, yeah, I think... He's it is a bit of a worry in that department whether this car is going to allow him to get the best out of it. But um, I don't know. I, mean, I think he's good enough to adapt to it by the by the end of the first half of the season. I'll say. I think. Yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on that as well. It's um it was a better weekend for Yuki Tsunoda too. He, um, P seven finish for him. Uh, got into Q three for the first time. I mean, he he got instructed to move to Italy, um, which I don't know if if you've ever been told to move to another country before, but I can't imagine that being an easy conversation. That must have been the best phone was... call he ever got, though. He lives in Milton Keynes, and he gets a phone call. Yeah, we're going to move you to Italy. I mean, true, yeah, it's not true. bad, is it? No wonder he was like... better this weekend. He was probably over the moon. <laughs> hey, hey, Milton Keynes is a lovely place. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> we'll work for the Milton Keynes Tourism Board, me. But we'll, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So he's uh, been instructed to move to Italy to to be closer to his team, so he can um, spend more time in the factory at Faenza for Alfa Tauri, which um, you know has hopefully paid some immediate dividends for him. But uh, don't think they'll have uh, they've liked his team radio message in the race too much, would they? <laughs> no, I think that's been the case in quite a few races this year. Which <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, he said. Uh... He said uh, before, around Monaco time that he was really going to try hard to kick out these aggressive radio messages because he thinks it's bad for team morale. That didn't last yeah, very didn't long. Work. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's just, uh, he can justify it a bit more when he's driving fairly well. Uh, the gap to Gasly was still too big, really, for, for his liking. Uh, but it was a step in the right direction at the very least, wasn't it? Um, he'll be kicking himself uh, at his restart. I think he lost two places at the restart, which... Yeah, so things could have been even better, really, because that's turning into a, a pretty tight fight for, for P5 and the constructors now between Aston, Alpha Tauri and Alpine. I don't think there's much between any of them. I think Alpine are kind of dropped behind a bit at this point. But um, yeah, every position counts. So they really do need Sonoda to to, to keep doing what he was doing in, in, in Baku. You know, not, we're not expecting him to beat Gasly in his first year, I think, but just to be getting points at the least. Well, I think Helmut Marko was expecting him to to beat Gasly to yeah. try and uh, well, effectively not not necessarily force Gasly out of the team, but just uh, just show that the, the driver program has still got a lot of uh, a lot of young talent coming through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Helmut Marko needs to just he he, he want, really wants to show that his young driver program is good by getting Sonodrum. But he, like, does he does he just want to like ignore the fact that Gasly's from his young driver program? You know, yeah. it, it seems like Red Bull are just just not interested in him at all. And I mean. It's just crazy. He's he's one of the best drivers on the grid. I mean, he's got three podiums now in F1, you yeah. know, which considering none of them came at Red Bull either. They've all come at Alpha Tauri. It's uh, and one of them was a win. I mean, yeah, it's pretty good going. But yeah, that that Alpha Tauri lineup is it's an exciting lineup for sure. And you think if Sonoda can, you know, start to continue on this trajectory, then that can be a really strong lineup which you can actually say about any any team in the midfield really that's that's kind of what the issue is for for the likes of George Russell isn't it there's there really is no room in the midfield anymore um yeah, yeah you mentioned the midfield battle there each member of the top six was in a different car as well which is uh yeah just shows how how close everything is in the midfield I mean barring uh like even forgetting both um both accidents there it's um yeah it's it's good to see it all so so bunched up and that's probably going to be ruined next year with the new regulations isn't it but we'll enjoy it for now yeah yeah i think what would be great was if um if ferrari and mclaren can end up a bit closer to 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 aston alpha and alpine because then we could have a real crazy fight for 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 the uh best of the for the best of the rest positions on race day but yeah, I mean, if you ask me now what the pecking order is, I'd struggle to tell you. It does seem to be changing so much at every track, which hasn't really been the case for the last few years. I mean, it was a bit last year with Racing Point versus McLaren. Um, but generally, we've had a pretty kind of clear-cut uh, pecking order in terms of teams um, in the hybrid era. But yeah, this year that has not been the case at all. Um it's just, it's just annoying. It's in the last year regulations before they get changed again. <laughs> yeah, same situation in 2013, wasn't it? Before the Turbo Hybrid came in. It was, yeah, 
exactly the same but yeah you know we'll, we'll enjoy it while it lasts um i feel like we need to give a shout out to, to the williams pit crew by the way because uh george russell uh had to go out of um of F, uh, fp3 uh with a with some sort of war leak issue and that meant that uh, the williams team had to change the entire power unit which normally takes them about four hours in two hours and i mean the red flag in, in qualifying did help them, but they managed to get his car out. And it was a pretty mammoth effort from Russell to be able to still out qualify the TV and get himself through to Q2 again. I mean, pit crews never fail to amaze me. Whenever we get this before qualifying or before a race, and it's like, oh, you've got 10 minutes to fix an entire car, one of the most high-tech vehicles in the world. And you think, no, but there's no way they're going to do that. And they do. They always seem to, which is... You know, it really does just always blow my mind. Really, um, at the end of the day, it was all for all for nothing in the end because they're now below Haas in the constructors' championship, which is uh, just a disaster, isn't it? I mean, how on earth has that happened? You had Williams saying that they could fight the midfield this year. Haas were like, "No, nah, yeah, we're not even going to bother with that car this year. You know, we're not even going to develop it." And now. Now they're above Williams in the Constructors' Championship. I mean, you know, that was largely because Russell couldn't make the restart with his gearbox issue. And then Latifi had a penalty for a really sloppy error from from Williams' pit crew, uh, telling them to stay out under the red flag. But uh, yeah, that that battle for P10, I didn't think was going to be a battle this year. I thought Haas were going to be lodged at the bottom all year long. But... um, yeah, no, who would have thought? Well, it wasn't all plain sailing for Haas, though, because, uh, yeah, it, it all kicked off between the two of them, didn't it? Yeah, that was uh, just crazy. Uh, I, I think, uh, I don't know if anyone's, uh, if, if you're listening and haven't watched it, go and go and find it somewhere. It was final lap. Mick was had had the run and on Mazepin was going to overtake him on the final pit straight. And just so late you know when Mick was so close to the back of Mazepin Mazepin just pulls over to the right the side that that Mick's passing on um towards the wall and I mean yeah understandably Schumacher was pretty unhappy he was uh a bit sweary on the radio a bit angry and um yeah you can't blame him really I mean you just wonder what the hell was Mazepin thinking it's it's just becoming a bit a bit too regular now that every weekend he seems to do something to rub a driver up the wrong way. Well, he'll make his way through everyone eventually, I'm sure. But um, yeah, uh, mixed radio message after after the sweary part saying, uh, seriously, does he want to kill us? But Mazepin, um, sort of, <laughs> after the race, he said uh, that he'd run out of batteries. So I was a bit of a sitting passenger and that he was a little bit upset about losing my position to my teammate. I mean, everyone's a little bit upset about <laughs> losing yeah. their position to their teammate, but you know, you don't have to shove them up into the wall. No, funny enough, it, was, it, it reminded me a lot of uh, the other Schumacher, Mick's dad. It was very... Yeah, Hungary 2010. Yeah, against Barrichello. And I think the team radio is very similar. I think Barrichello said, then is he trying to kill us? So, you know, it's kind of come full circle. We just got the Schumacher role has been reversed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a brilliant thing to come full circle to, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's, uh, but, yeah, no, in all seriousness, Mazepin does. He just, because his driving, in terms of his actual pace, it is getting better. You know, he is getting closer to Schumacher. There wasn't much between them in qualifying. He beat him in Monaco. So in terms of that, he's he's making progress, but he then he kind of undoes that with with crazy actions like this. Um, 
which yeah for his own sake he needs to cut out yeah absolutely moving on to to tired chat uh pirelli had um had a bit of a dodgy weekend didn't they so they uh they brought tires that were a step softer than they uh, they did last time in baku um and it just you know those those two tire failures on on the rear left of lance stroll and max verstappen led to crashes at 190 200 miles an hour and that's you know that doesn't really feel acceptable does it because they fe- they said that the the hard tire could do 40 laps um in the race uh strolled at 31 and mm. was was in the wall i mean they uh they came out after the race we should say and uh and, and blame the failures on debris but for for warm tires to do exactly the same thing to two different drivers at different points of the race i mean do you, do you smell a rat there yeah for sure i do yeah i think um i mean when stroll crap when, when it happened to stroll where was the debris on track? You know, that's what I'm wondering because I'm sure little parts come off and that and stuff. It was a windy day. So some stuff maybe blew onto the track. But I mean, there hadn't been any incidents and to the naked eye on camera, there was, it was a perfectly clear track. You know, there was no debris whatsoever. Um, and it seems, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't add up to me. I think maybe, maybe Verstappen there's I don't know a bit of Aston Martin lying around on the straight that he accidentally clipped but yeah I'm not sure I I think that yeah I I don't know you obviously don't want to be accusing Pirelli of BSing or anything but no not at all no No. but I'm just not 100% sure that I can fully buy that both of them were were debris incidents when they were so similar I mean the, the ties had done pretty similar amounts of laps um and it was a pretty identical failure you know similar part of the track so yeah i don't know it it was it's a big coincidence if if it was both both debris especially considering there wasn't much debris on track at that point but i don't know only time will tell i guess yeah and one thing that we uh we did manage to hear on uh on the fia uh team radio feed and it, it was good thinking from uh from red bull sporting director jonathan wheatley there just saying that um that the race should have been red flagged after verstappen's so if if not to um get get the debris off the track but so the, the drivers could change tires towards yeah. the end as well if in yeah. case anything else was going to happen yeah it was really good to hear from red bull actually because that did not benefit them at all you know um at that point, Perez was leading Hamilton, um, and he would have he would have won. You know, he he hundred percent would have. And having a red flag obviously gives Hamilton a massive chance of getting ahead again with the standing start. So, yeah, it, it didn't benefit Red Bull in any way, really. So it was good to hear um, them kind of prioritize safety. Um, and I think it, it kind of gave Michael Massey the excuse he wanted as well, because he said after race that he wanted to red flag it so that the race didn't end under the safety car and we got a kind of better spectacle of a finish. Um, and I think that team radio from Red Bull did maybe give him more justification to do that, which kind of played into his hands. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was good from Red Bull. It is, um, I mean, it is scary when you think about it, isn't it? You know, it's these drivers going at, over 200 miles an hour and with zero warning or anything their tire just blows it's it, it's dangerous and um well in a weird way you hope it was debris don't you yeah you do but ultimately the main thing is that both uh, Lance Ryan and Max Verstappen were okay 
afterwards because if if something had happened in a different part of that straight you know with the uh with the pit entry as well mm. being uh, being cut off you know you're you're just glad it wasn't any worse yeah yeah that, that's the worry it's that pit entry it's uh if if you know because Verstappen was on the right side of the track at the time but if he was over to the left and that happened then you know that that the pit wall is right there kind of head on you know his collision with the wall wasn't that bad because the tire had already punctured and he kind of span a bit and lost a bit of speed before he hit the wall um and he hit it kind of to the side so yeah it wasn't that bad but yeah it, it's a worry and you just um i'm sure we'll get some answers in the coming days but uh yeah let's just hope it was debris and not not some some random failures that uh you know just came out of nowhere but i do think for next year pirelli will be reconsidering their decision to go one uh to go down to a softer set of tires for sure yeah it's you know uh, like mistakes were made and you'd, you'd hope that they learn from them but ultimately um that probably needed to happen before the race started to be honest but um, looking ahead then uh next will be the start of uh, the first triple header of the season uh, heading to Paul Ricard in France um as you've already said earlier in the episode Finn there's um you know there's a strong chance that it could be another Mercedes stronghold but it'll be um yeah it'll be interesting to see how um how the next round of, uh, of this battle between Hamilton and Verstappen will play out. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, we've had a great season, you know, it's a season so good that it made Barcelona look decent. So the big <laughs> question now is, can it make Paul Ricard look decent? Because I mean, you know, yeah. you've got a serious season on your hands if you get a good French Grand Prix. So uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's the only ways up. My, my, I'm, I'm keeping my expectations uh, moderate, you know, so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm open, but yeah, I think it is going to be a Mercedes stronghold. I think um, Hamilton's got to be the favourite. Bottas, I'm not so sure after the performance, I think. But I think both of them are going to... I think, it, you know, Mercedes, Hamilton and Bottas, they're, they're all going to really, really want to get that win, maybe to get a 1-2 to kind of assert their dominance. Because, I mean, that's a hefty old lead Red Bull have in the Constructors' Championship now. It really is, but um, either way, we'll have plenty more reaction to uh, to Azerbaijan and uh, a lot a lot of preview content on on PlanetF1.com uh, for the French Grand Prix in a couple of weeks' time. And you know, you can follow us at any time uh, on on social media. We are at Planet underscore F1 on Twitter, uh, Planet F1 com on Instagram, and just Planet F1 on Facebook. And uh, that's all we have time for today, uh, Finley. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, yeah, we will we will speak to you after hopefully uh, the best French Grand Prix we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of the, re- the since it returned to the calendar, I don't think that would be too difficult. So, uh, yeah, optimistic <laughs> in that department. Best French Grand Prix that we've ever seen on the way, I'm sure. Yeah, and we will speak to you then. Thanks very much for joining us. That's not just any sound. It's lunchtime, and that's the irresistible sound of Philadelphia cream cheese being spread across your sandwich. And now you're wondering if it tastes as good as it sounds? Remember, you came here for this radio show. Irresistibly Philadelphia. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.